from the west to the east. I'm Sherry Christensen from Alberta. And I'm Jake Rose from New Brunswick. Welcome to Embrace the Green. Welcome back to episode 53 of the Embrace the Grain Photography Podcast. um, Tonight, we are starting off our new format with Jake. Hello. Hi. So, are you ready to jump into the wonderful world of podcasting? I'm ready to dive in. Yeah? Oh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, excited to get going. (laughs) We've had a few technical issues. Uh, The first night when we sat down to do the intro, my Skype just would not work. It kept booting me out. It kept erasing all of my audio drivers back to the default. And I couldn't hear anything Jake was saying, but we did manage to get our 30-second intro done. It uh, it definitely took more than 30 seconds to uh, to get that finished, but uh, oh. we, uh, we made it okay, I think. Yeah, it wasn't easy. It was like, ah, I'm going to go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> that happens so, to the best. Yeah, what have you been up to in the last couple weeks, Jake? Other than school, basically, I've just been trying to uh, shoot as much color film as possible before the leaves are entirely gone. And uh, at this point, we're uh, we're definitely out of fall here in New Brunswick, at least. Yeah, you're so lucky. Everything's been gone here for weeks. We had a bout here where we had about an inch of snow for at least a week, and The water was all frozen uh, for probably two and a half weeks. But the geese are still here. But yet yesterday it was 18 above. So it was beautiful out. So it's very, very fickle weather. Yeah, I guess so. Jeez. Now it's (laughs) been, it's been a typical November here. It's, it's been uh, very chilly. It was nice out today, so, you know, I was like, there's like 100 jackets hanging at the door. You've got your winter parka, because a week or so ago, it was like minus 12, which is cold. <laughs> and today, it was like plus 12, which is reasonably warm fall day. So, it's like, okay, so I wear my fall jacket today. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to plan it day by day here in Canada. Yeah, you don't don't put them all away until at least December. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, we've had. Uh, I haven't been. I'm. I haven't been sh- out shooting myself, and this is terrible. But I'm really late on my October roll of my frugal film. I've got just a few frames left to go on it, and I'm going. Oh, I should have been done already, but. 36 is a lot of frames to go through, especially when you're late. Oh, I know. I uh, 
I honestly, if I can shoot a, a 24 frame roll over a 36, I will. I, I just find, like, it's only a 12-shot difference, but I just find it it's so much easier to finish. Yes, yes, but they are only, because we have to shoot Tri-X for this quarter, and they only were selling them in 36s, so I didn't get a lot of choice. Now, I probably could have changed cameras, but I wanted to complete the project with one camera. Yeah, I don't blame you there. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm working away at it and I've got the next rollout and I'm just going to keep going and see if I can just keep that momentum going, but uh um there's uh, some questions in the group and I'm going to bring up some of the stuff that I've been shooting on that roll and and how I'm getting through it and being thrifty at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so we might as well just jump right into the questions. So I guess I can um, read them. They all come from our brand new Facebook group. Now, if you're not a member of our Embrace the Grain Photography podcast Facebook group, please join in. There's a lot of really cool comments in there and so far, we're really small. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe we can be a, a, a tight-knit community as a result. You know, who knows? I think so. <laughs> I think so. There's a lot of the people that joined that are familiar names, and it's kind of nice to to see that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's great to see some fellow podcasters in there as well. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we, we don't have a ton of questions, which is just right, because we have just the right amount to fill up a uh, podcast for tonight. So the first question we have is from Junior Wyatt. I have a question for you both. Looking back at your photography goals for 2020, did you accomplish what you wanted to accomplish? And what are your goals for 2021? Want to go first? Yeah. So uh, about a year ago, this time in the uh, in the negative positives podcast group, uh, somebody asked the question, you know, what are your photography goals for 2020? And I think I said uh, that I wanted to take more portraits. Uh, of course, with uh, the whole COVID situation. Uh, it's uh, it's not the greatest time to uh, to get out there and take people pictures, but uh, I definitely took more portraits than I usually did, so I I'm happy with that. But of of course, there's uh, a lot of work to be done for next year. Right, right. So, what about 2021? Do you have anything in mind for there? Uh, apart from taking more portraits, honestly, I just would love to get out there and hike more with cameras, you know, uh, get off the beaten path type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like to take the back roads in the, in the old pickup truck and just, 
you can stop in the middle of the road, leave the door open, get out and walk around, and nobody is even going to bother you. And it's just awesome. You find some really neat stuff doing that. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, nice to not have an audience every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so for my goals for 2020, I really, I'm not sure if I was asked that or if I was, I don't remember what I said. Um, I have a great memory. It's just kind of short. Um, <laughs> ah. uh, so... My goals for 2020 is I really didn't set any. I just, the only goal I set for myself was to uh, complete the Frugal Film Project on which I am running late on, but I'll catch up here in the next week and a half. Uh, That was the only goal I really set for myself. And the reason being was life has enough stress. And when COVID come out, that added even more. So I'm kind of glad I didn't have anything where I, I got to do this and I got to do that because I kind of have enough on the go. And who needs more, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's nice to do things at your own pace. And, you know, sometimes even not having a general goal is fine. You know, just... Just working through things can sometimes uh, inspire you on its own. Yeah, and as for goals in 2021, I haven't set any yet, but come December I might, and I might not. I might just hang out and continue to take my day trips every once in a while and, and go for a drive and shoot whatever I find and... Uh, I, there is one goal, though. I do have one. I need to take more pictures of my second grandson. I have found I have been taking way less of him. Now, maybe it's because he's a little more demanding than his brother was at that age. Um, <laughs> every kid's different. Uh, but... I, yeah, I still need to keep, even if he's crying, he needs the pictures. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he would love to see that someday. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, we have two questions here that are kind of go together. So I'll start with Bill Smith from the uh, Classic Camera Revival first, and then I'll lead into Anthony Cronin's question because they kind of go together. They do and they don't. But uh, Bill says, how do you account for the level of sunlight or lack thereof in November in your photography? So what do you think of that, Jake? Well, one thing that I do personally when the weather starts to get a little crappy out around these parts is uh, I switch almost exclusively to black and white. Uh, I find personally that uh, shooting uh, color in really kind of flat gray light, uh, I don't usually get the best results. So I tend to... uh, to stockpile my color film through the winter and uh, and save that up for spring and summer 
But yeah, typically I'll shoot, uh, you know, Tri-X, HP5, uh, maybe FP4 if it's a nice day out. But uh, yeah, just a lot of black and white film, lots of grain. Right. So I do, I do shoot color in the winter. I, I do. But uh, it has to be the right day. And if it's a flat, dull, gray day, I will pull up a the table up near the window and maybe do still lifes. Because you can do a lot with a table right near the window. There's food photography. There's flowers. Like everybody shoots flowers, I know. There's there's a lot you can do. Um, even I've been known, like when my oldest grandson was two, I put him up near the window and did a few portraits, and they were beautiful. They were shot in January, but you don't see that. Another thing is, though, I can go outside if the light's not super flat and focus on the snow and maybe do some macro on snowflakes. Uh, you know, I've never thought of doing that. You know, those those are some of the things, like, you don't want harsh sunlight on snowflakes. You want it to look soft and, yeah, yeah or even the frost on the trees. Yeah. So there's a couple things that I do for that. And, and uh, Anthony's question, it kind of follows along on that same train of thought. He says, here in Ireland, the gray skies have arrived. Flat light or rain is on the menu for the next six months. Oh boy, can you relate, Jake? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, definitely not on the rain part, but uh, yeah, I uh, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. So I'm always looking for new challenges. I am pondering doing still life with my trusty Hasselblad 500CM. So we're talking about black and white film and probably start with a few pieces of fruit until I get a feel for this new avenue. What would be your top tips on how to set this up, light it, etc.? Hmm. I can't comment about that question since I have literally no experience with still life. So I'll I'll let you take that one. Okay. So one winter I was bored. It was cold. And I went downstairs now. Mind you, this was with digital so I could learn. And I set up a pair of strobes and some alternative lighting and I played. I probably have... 5,000 pictures of, like I said, food, flowers, all that fun stuff. But it's all (laughs) artificially lit because at night in my basement, it is dark. So, yeah, anyway, so um, since you're planning on shooting black and white, my top tips would be, You don't need to worry about your white balance because there isn't one with black and white. So 
Any light will do. An old lamp pointed at your subject, um, a flashlight, I believe you call them torches over it there in Ireland. Um, but the color of your light, whether it's a warm bulb in a lamp or a cool LED torch, isn't going to matter for lighting. And to practice to see where your light bounces, I would grab your cell phone or if you have a digital camera and just take a couple test shots. Um, when I first took my photography class, they went and they made us learn all this stuff about film and how they used to use Polaroids for their test shots for like models and, and still lives. So your digital or your cell phone can replace the Polaroid and you can see where your light's going to land on, say, an apple. Another thing is if you need a little inspiration on still lifes, hit up Pinterest. I know it's cliche, but there's a ton on there and it might inspire you. Um, sometimes I do that too. In fact, um, last last couple weeks, I went and I don't know, about a year ago, I went into the thrift store and I bought this great big tub of lights, photography lights, and I got them home. Now they're the old style, they're hot lights, they're warm. Um, but I have I had to laugh when I pulled them out and looked at the stands, they came from the morgue. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess. I I guess they're getting a second life. Yeah, so they must have updated to LEDs and got rid of their old old lighting. But this big box of lights was like five bucks. So I dug that out, and most of them still work. Now I'm going to um, do a few still lifes myself with that this winter to finish up my frugal film project because. We've had snow already, the leaves are all gone, everything outside is dead looking. So I'm kind of bored of that landscape. Nothing out there is pretty. And I've already shot that in the spring, so yeah. And since this is going to be black and white, I was kind of thinking the same lines you were, Anthony, of to do a few still lifes and I actually bought a bouquet of flowers to tr try this out on here so any any excuse to buy myself flowers right <laughs> yeah there you go anyway uh yeah so that would be my top tips would be to grab your flashlight a lamp you don't need a lot um, even a piece of glass put on a piece of poster board will give you a nice shiny black surface. And if you put something white or light colored on there, it will really pop. So there's there's tons you can do. Yeah, those are good tips. Yeah. So um, the next question is from Joseph Rowland. 
He says, can you please explain pushing and pulling film? Where and why would you do it? Okay, pushing and pulling film. I guess I'll start with the, the basics first. Uh, so pushing film is when you increase your film speed and when you're developing you have to compensate uh, by adding time uh, to get a proper exposure or else you know you'll be underexposed. So uh, with pulling it's the opposite you're decreasing your film speed and you're also decreasing your development time. So where and why would you do this? Uh, me personally, I, uh, I pretty much do it for fun. You know, one day I'll grab a roll of triax and toss it in a camera and look outside and, you know, it's a little, a little dark, a little dim. Why not push that up to 800? Uh, so I guess, yeah, it, uh, I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I have done it too. Um, I've done it with uh, HP5 myself. I've popped that up to 800 in 35 millimeter. Anything above that brings out way too much grain. Yeah. Uh, and in 120, I went up to 1600, and it looks beautiful. And I didn't process this one myself. I did send it off to a lab. And they actually questioned me on if I really wanted to do this. <laughs> I shot a roll of Ektar at 400, so that's plus two. Mm, I have heard of people doing that before. And it was gorgeous. It was. It was beautiful. The colors were bright and vibrant. And, and actually, the skin tones turned out proper. So, huh. yeah. It can be done. Now, where and why would I do it? I've never, I've never pulled it. I guess you would pull it if you had personally myself i don't know other people would have other opinions on this they would maybe pull their film if they wanted to reduce grain maybe or if they had inadvertently set the incorrect iso yeah, i've done that on more than one occasion right and pushing it well we just want more iso more, more iso or at least for me I want a faster film. I want more, more light. Yeah, and I, I guess another reason why you might want to push film is increased contrast. So That's not true. only do you get uh, increased film speed, but you also get a little bump in contrast, which uh, I'm personally a big fan of. Yeah, I, I like contrast on my photos too. Uh, maybe that's why I like the HP5 at 800. Yeah, that'll definitely give you some good contrast levels. 
even like even when I went down to Arizona last winter, I shot a roll HP5 at 800 in the bright sunny day. I mean, bright sunlight and like, the increased contrast, you know, that could uh, that could be magic. It was perfect for the situation because the old like there's an old saloon that's been ab- abandoned and it, it looks it's very derelict looking and it was perfect. So that we went hunting for old signs and stuff that was old and it was perfect for that. Yeah, no, uh, it's uh, it's fun just to switch it up every once in a while and, and get a, a different look from familiar film stocks. Yeah, another thing, though, is if you're going to do something like that, make sure your camera can handle it. Because when I did do that with the HP5 800, that was really a sunny 16 day. All day long. <sighs> I was at the top of my cameras, like it couldn't go any. It was maxed. It yeah. couldn't go any further. She was maxed out. <laughs> now it would have been nice to have the uh, maybe the F5 in that situation or the F6, I guess. Yeah, well, it was it was my frugal film camera roll, so it was the uh, F75. Uh, uh. <laughs> so that has a top speed of one one thousand there. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. I yeah. just threw it on aperture priority and <laughs> went to town. <laughs> but it That's wasn't o- the shutter wasn't open very long. <laughs> and the photos all turned out, so Yeah, well there you go. Anyway, so yeah. Um I hope though that covered your questions. Um I don't think I have anything else to add to that. Um, so should we move on to our next topic? Sure. Why? Let's do it. Okay. Um, the next topic is Ko-Fi. We've had donations. Yay! Yay! I was saying to Jake before we started up, I. I like after we had so much trouble last week, I went and I thought, okay, maybe it's my Skype. And I went to update my Skype and it kept failing, fail, fail, fail. So I dumped Skype and reinstalled a new copy and, and that one was fine. And <laughs> I thought, well, maybe I should, maybe I should update the computer. So I hit update, and there was one update, and then I thought, well, I'll see if I can get the next one, and it says, no, it's not supported. Your computer is too old. Okay, so I've went, it's went as far as it could on, I don't, if anybody's on to Mac, we are on High Sierra, <laughs> which is not bad. That's not what it started out with in 2009, but anyway, I think it was Yosemite back then. Yeah. Um, so then I thought, well, let us update GarageBand. Well, it would let me do that. And tonight when I logged on and sat down and I had it all set up, the new GarageBand won't let me separate the channels anymore. 
So we're trying a new way of recording. I hope it works. Yeah, I uh, I really hope this saves. But uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so we did. We had uh, four donations last week. Thank you so much. Yeah. We are eleven percent to goal now. So the goal is by January to at least at least get twenty percent. I'll be happy with that. So we had. Uh, our donors last week were Aragon Etzel, Nick Orloff, Matt Murray, and Anonymous. You know who you are. <laughs> yeah, thank so, you for the donations. Yeah. So as a perk for that, um, the if you are uh, wanting a Embrace the Grain sticker, I'll pop one in the mail for you, and you get to have a say in upcoming guests or a podcast topic. So, um, Aragon, he come up with a topic, and his question and topic was, if you lost a piece of photography, oh, that was mine. Whoops. Where's Aragon? Darn it, I had it pulled up there. Where is he? Here it is. He was pondering with a cohort the other day that in the 1950s, photographers shot ISO 25 slide film and made amazing photos. And I struggle to this day sometimes to get ISO 400 to expose properly. Our grandparents were gods among mere mortals. How do you handle getting the correct exposure? Hmm. Well, I guess other than taking the easy way out and uh, and using a handheld meter, uh, Sunny 16 is a good way, but I guess we're talking about slide film, so maybe you might not want to do Sunny 16 for slide. Unless it's bright and sunny. Of course, yeah. But he's he's talking about in the 1950s where it's probably um, like your box brownie Hawkeye. Yeah, I mean less variables i mean in that case really the only variable you're playing with is the film speed right right so i wonder you know if he's saying the iso is 25 and isn't the brownie hawkeye right around 30 seconds i'm not sure but i that sounds right maybe 125th 130th so if they bought ISO 100 film or ISO 25 25 film and the shutter speed was 25 and it was sunny out then those slide photos should turn out oh yeah I don't see why not you know um, I have to say though that 
I have all of my mom's photos. Like I, I scanned them for her from when my granny shot and I have her brownie Hawkeye too of way back in the, it would be the 1950s. And now they're, they're black and white. So I don't know. Maybe she had Veracrome pan. I don't know. But uh, every single one of her photos is properly exposed. Yeah, I mean, uh, looking through my family photos, I I can't say that my parents were much of a you know photographers, but uh, good for your uh, grandmother. <laughs> now either she would just maybe she had the talent and never never really took it up. Yeah, I too I guess it was poor kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a different time. You know, I, I don't know. So how, how today, well, we have lots of options today because you have, like, if you get a plastic, fantastic camera, you can always hit uh, the shutter speed setting or the aperture priority only setting. You don't have to shoot manual. Oh, no, definitely not. Like, if, I, uh, if you didn't have your meter with you, Yeah, I mean, Sunny 16, if you have your phone with you, there are a couple good uh, good free apps that you could use. Lots, lots of options. Right, right. Yeah. Plus, also, there's um, the Film Photography Project has that Black Cat Exposure Guide. And that would fit in a pocket, and it pretty much covers everything in there. Like, yeah, those look really useful. You know. Uh, also, something new that came out is there's those Raveni meters. I do have one. I haven't had a chance to use it yet. Yeah, those look neat. Uh there's another brand that uh, recently came out with one as well. I think it's uh, Kix, K-I-K-S. I think you're right. Yeah. So. No, I've uh, I've been kind of thinking about grabbing one of those as well. Right. Yeah, just because like I have uh, I have a collection of Spotmatics, and only one has a meteor that works. So that's why I bought the Raveni. Is it going to pop on those Spotmatics so that they're more useful to me? Because, like I said, like Anthony was mentioning earlier, it's gray season. And, Bill, it's dark out. You know, how do you get to proper exposure when the sunshine hasn't made an appearance in 25 days? <laughs> <laughs> it can yeah, happen. It can definitely be tough. You know, so, you know, that's a good question. Very good question. So yeah. those those are some of the ways that I would maybe do it. Now, I do have a Sakonic, so I can drag that big old sucker out. And it, you know what? It's very accurate and it never fails. I just, 
I only use it in the house. Which uh, Sekonic do you have? Um, the L758. Okay. Yeah, I have the uh, the L398. It's uh, it's one of the uh, the analog ones. Right. Right. No I battery got, required. I got a super duper deal on this when I first picked up film, and they said you need a light meter. And that was before things had went up in price. So yeah. I could easily sell this for now for more than I paid. That's for sure. Is that uh, one of the ones with the spot metering as well? Yes, it has a spot meter. It's capable of strobe work. I have used it for that. Okay. So. Definitely yeah. more sophisticated than mine. It hooks up to my Nikon FE beautifully. Yeah. <laughs> It does. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing that that brand new technology works with that old so well. But uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they all do the same thing. They do. I would like to get my hands on one of those older ones. I think my mom has one. She didn't really know what it was. It just came in the bottom of a bag. <laughs> I should go dig it out and see if it is in there. Keep the camera, Mom. I just want this one. I just want this piece. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so thanks, everybody, so much for um, helping out with the Ko-Fi. We have one more Ko-Fi question from Nick Orloff, and he wants to talk about TLRs. Mm. So what do you have to say about TLRs, Jake? Well... Uh, both of us over the summer, we, uh, we participated in a TLR challenge that, uh, Dan Novak was hosting and, uh, yeah. And, uh, well, I'm, I've been a big lover of TLRs for probably the past three or four years. Uh, the first one that I ever picked up, uh, it was a, uh, Yashica Mat 124G, and uh, and since then I've uh, I've moved on to Rolly Flexes. Uh, I currently have a uh, a 3.5B, uh, but yeah, big fan of TLRs. Right. What about well, you, Sharon? I have the Rolly Flex Rolly Flex Baby which I did not mean to buy. It was an accident, and I didn't know what I was buying. And I got home and discovered what 127 film was. Huh. Oh, my God. I'm such a dork. <laughs> anyway, so I, I did get it serviced, and I did buy film for it. And I have shot it. I really like it. It's really small, but it's hard to get film for it. Now, that one, if you have large fingers, you would probably hate using it. If you have small fingers, they fit right on there. And it's it's not as full-featured as the Big Brother. I actually have two other Roller Flexes. 
I have a 1938 automat that I sent off to be serviced because it was really sticky and it needed a really good cleaning. And it's really funny at the time uh, Harry wrote back to me and he goes, this camera really isn't worth restoring. Oh, it's just on. it's just an automat. It's the lower model. But um, I think it was you that told me in your Roloflex book there were a few of them that were rare. Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing with uh, with Roloflex is they didn't make, uh, make one model consistently the same throughout the entire run. You know, there were there there were little variations uh, depending on which model we're talking about. Yeah, I think it was it was like right before World War Two, and that's why they quit. So this one was only made a couple years. So it, it, I think that's what gives it the rarity. Yeah, um, yeah, quite a few cameras. Uh, from Rolly Flex around that time, uh, they were definitely made sparingly for obvious reasons. Right, right. And my other one is a 3.5F that I bought from the original owner. And he had sent that one off to Harry before he sold it, so it had been freshly serviced. And he says, I won't sell this to just anybody. Whoever buys my camera has to be using it. Yeah. And, and then he says, do you have a website? I said, yes, I do have a website. And I think he checked it all over and he goes, it's yours. I will deliver it. So he took a four-hour drive to bring me my Roliflex. It was super nice to meet him. Yeah, that is uh, quality service right there. And it was in mint condition. I have since purchased a eye-level prism for that camera. And the reason being, now, it is not in uh, pristine condition like the camera. But I bought it to use it, and I can put the, the waist-level finder back on if I want it to look pretty. But the reason I did is... My eyes are getting old, and I have trouble focusing on the west waist level finder. So it was yeah. flip up the little magnifying glass and get it up by your face and squint away, and or just hope like heck you nailed focus. Yeah, I mean, uh, depending on the year of the Roliflex, uh, you know, some of those mirrors can get pretty dim. You know, especially we're we're looking at, you know, 60, 70 years later. Right. Like the automat that I got serviced, Harry did put a brand new mirror in it and cleaned it all up. It's as good as it's going to be. So he said, you know, he just said because it was an automat that he he personally wouldn't have serviced it. But then I thought, how cool is it to sit there and shoot with an 80 plus year old camera? That works like a dream. Yeah, I mean, those things were built to last, that's for sure. You know, so, yeah. 
Um, one thing, if you do have poor eyesight and you wear glasses or contacts, an eye level prism is something to look into. I do have a friend that has actually installed a Hasselblad prism on his. Oh, interesting. Now, I'm not exactly sure on the model, and but he says, I actually bought my prism from him. And he uh, says, I upgraded. And of course, it come from someone you know. So he goes, there's a little separation on the edge here. And there's a couple scratches here. And like, I wasn't expecting it to be perfect. But, uh, you know, it does does what I want it to. And then it goes back in its little case. Yeah, I mean, as long as you can look through it, that's all that really matters. I think if I was using it more, then maybe I would uh, maybe upgrade it. But I have, I prefer 35, actually, to be honest. Yeah. 20. I don't know. I like, like the uh, convenience, I guess. Uh, another thing is when you have the prism on, you know how a TLR, everything left to right is backwards? Right. When you put the prism on, it's not. It's like a regular camera. Yeah, I mean, uh, especially when you're starting out with, uh, with a TLR, it can definitely be a bit of a learning curve getting used to that uh, horizontal uh, flip. Yeah. You, like you move it over to the, to the left and you meant to go right, and it's like, oh... <laughs> yeah it's it it definitely takes a couple times uh shooting to uh kind of wrap your brain around it yeah but you know they are beautiful cameras and and it's not just roliflex it's like you mentioned there are yashikas and i know so many people that cut their teeth with a yashika they're excellent as well Oh yeah, and there's there's a tons of there are tons of different models uh, in varying price ranges. Like uh, oh, there's the Yashica A, B, C, D, and the, those could all be you know easily bought for under a hundred dollars US, give or take. Right. Yeah. And then there's also ones like there's the Icon Flex by Zeiss. Yeah, and uh, you have one of those, don't you? I do, but it needs attention, and I qu haven't quite gotten to it yet. <laughs> okay. So, but I did buy it super, super, super cheap. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, you might not mind putting a little bit of money into it then. I'm, I'm going to see what I can manage to do myself first, because... Some of it, some of it I know I can do myself. Some of it I know I can't. Like replacing the mirror, super easy. I did that myself. Right. And uh, you know, like there's a few things like seals and stuff like that I can do myself. But as for taking it apart and cleaning it and lubing it, and I might not want to tackle that myself. <laughs> <sighs> no, I know if I if I tried something like that, it would uh, it would never go back together the same. 
I, I recently parted out a Nikon FE. I bought it for a parts body, and I got a really, really good price on this parts body because I needed a few parts. And I followed all the YouTube videos, and I thought, there's no way I, this, like, mine doesn't look like that in the video at all. So either mine was made before or after or whatever, but they, they weren't the same. <laughs> so it's there. This isn't the same. That's not how that guy got that off. And I thought, well, crap, I lost the spring. And I thought, I'm not putting it back together anyway. It was good practice to actually take things apart and you get a better idea of what's underneath. And, and there might be some of those inside parts like, the prism on it was perfect not a dent on it so right you know there's i've i've got that and i needed the rewind lever so that's been installed on another camera that had a bad one and and uh yeah but and it uh, seems to be a bit of a common issue with those cameras well once you take them apart you can see why and Mine was loose because I think somebody maybe took it off and lost the spring. All the pieces were there except a teeny tiny spring. And I thought, well, I got all the pieces. But when I took the one off the parts body, oh, here's a spring that's not on the other one. That's why it's loose. Yeah, I, I guess that would do it. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't lose that spring. <laughs> so um speaking of nikons you had a bit of an adventure in thrifting recently yeah uh a nikon fm Ooh. so i uh this uh nikon fm popped up locally and it was for a great price and it had a 43 to 86 millimeter lens which uh ken rockwell claims as one of the worst nikon lenses ever <laughs> <laughs> so now you're gonna love it right i haven't uh i haven't shot it yet but uh i i definitely plan on uh seeing whether those claims hold up or not <laughs> but uh but anyway the uh the pictures in this ad they they weren't great so when i show up the first thing i notice is that this thing is missing a strap lug which i have never personally seen with any camera let alone an icon camera and then I go to test the shutter, and oh, the the shutter won't fire, and the uh, the advanced lever is moving freely, but uh, the shutter is locked for some reason. So uh, I I end up uh, walking away without a Nikon FM, and uh, you know at at that point I had uh, pretty much put it out of my mind, you know that. Uh, this was just one of those situations where it wasn't going to work out. But, uh, oh, it was it was probably a day later. 
And the lady who had the camera, she messaged me and she said, hey, I uh, I got the camera working. And, you know, obviously you're skeptical at first, you know, what did this lady do to, uh, you know, bring this one back from the dead? But uh, she actually sent me a, a video from fixoldcameras.com, which uh, which I've uh, binge-watched quite a bit on YouTube uh, just for fun. But, uh, yeah, it was just the advanced interlock uh, underneath the uh, the bottom plate that was kind of uh, was hanging up. So she, uh, she was able to fix that, and I ended up uh, going back for that one. Cool. Cool. Lucky yeah. You. Yeah, and actually, the uh, the parts body we were just talking about, I uh, I'm getting a strap lug and a uh, a film door from you. The film door was easy to get off. The strap lug, however, not so easy. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I don't know how it would have come off because they're actually put on with set screws. Yeah. So either their set screw was faulty from the factory, which I guess that could happen. Definitely possible. And it just loosened over time. But, um, yeah, I had a, a devil of a time getting that log off. And so I ended up finally going and downloading a service manual until so I could see exactly what is holding this in. And then I read, set screw and I went oh crap <laughs> yeah I definitely don't think they're meant to come out no they're definitely not meant to come out but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah so anyway yeah but um I guess we could uh move along now because um we did ask in our Facebook group questions for the next episode so let's get to them some of these are are pretty funny and some of them are what you might expect them to be so if you lost one piece of photography gear 10 years ago and it was returned to you today what would it be it can be film or digital answers read on the episode so um Aragon Etzel or Chris Etzel the lid to his four roll developer tank oh my god that would suck yeah those <laughs> things are expensive <laughs> and you would be stuck with your two roller <laughs> <laughs> or even worse a one <laughs> yeah those aren't much good huh well, that's all I have, and it's like if I have a big batch, it's like, oh, yuck. Yeah, it takes forever with one roll. Well, if I'm, yeah, if I, I only use that one roll tank if I have like one roll of black and white and two rolls of color in 35, then I'll just load the two tanks. Right. Done with it. But that's the only time I ever use that one. But it was kind of thrown in with a bunch of other stuff. Uh, George Griffin. He's from On the Streets podcast. If you haven't listened to that, you should check it out. 
all the lens caps I've lost over the years. I lost another one last week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh no. I guess that's why they sell uh, lens caps with strings on them. Uh, I hate those strings. <laughs> I cut them off every time. They catch on everything. But that is why they sell them that way. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I've definitely lost my uh, fair share of lens caps, but I uh, I haven't uh, I haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> Wendy Gunderson. Lens cap lost on the way to the airport in Provincia Dali's Turks and Caicos Islands. My lens wore a sock for the trip home. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works. That, that was good thinking, Wendy. So we have to remember, if we lose our lens cap, that we could use a sock. I hope it was a clean sock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's hope. <laughs> Uh, Andrew, Andrew Reynolds, all the disc film I shot as a kid back in the 80s. I would love to be able to see those again. <laughs> disc uh, film. Yeah. And I replied back and said, I really wanted a disc camera back then, but I had one tent. I'm kind of glad now. <laughs> yeah, I don't back. think that. Uh, sorry. He said he wrote back, I used birthday money in either 85 or 86 to buy a Hanamix 120 disc camera from the local consumer's distributing store. I thought it was the neatest thing at the time. <laughs> huh. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Disc film didn't stick around for too long, did it? No, I remember we were, uh, went to... Uh, uh, we went to England in high school. We took one heck of a field trip. <laughs> a couple of my friends, they all had these nice new disc cameras for this big trip. And I thought, oh, they're so lucky. I still got my old 110 camera and off we go. And like this thing still had like flip flash. Remember flip flash where you stick it in and you've got four flashes and then you flip it over and you've yeah. Then you got four more and then you were done. There was no more flashes. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I had. Huh? A tad before my time. <laughs> uh, but I still have that camera. It still works. I ran Lamogadi through it. It still shoots just fine. <laughs> uh, I guess maybe you had the last laugh. Uh, I'm really glad now I didn't have a disc film camera now, though. <laughs> yeah, you, you, uh, you certainly wouldn't be shooting it. <laughs> I wouldn't be shooting it, and I probably couldn't see the pictures either. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that wouldn't be much good. Anthony Cronin can't honestly recall losing anything except once in 10 years, an original lens hood for my Agfa Isolet 3 folder. But as I'm a squirrel, I had others. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good uh, to have a spare. It is. A pair and a spare. Oh, God. Yeah. Now you know how much I hoard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Alex Lauk. I sold it, but I would love to get my AF Nikkor 85 1.8D back. Ooh. Yeah. 
Yeah, I uh, I have my fair share of regrets as well, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I do have one. It's one of the lenses I don't like, but I'm not going to sell it. I think I'm going to try it on some other cameras. Maybe it just hasn't found the right body. Yeah, you, you know, you got to find its soulmate. Yeah. Uh, uh, Robert Lainey's some of the pictures that were lost from my time in the Gulf War, then I think there is a reason I don't have those pictures. Thanks for your service, Robert, and maybe there is. Yeah, thanks for your service, Robert. Um, Bob St. Cyr, nothing lost, Sherry, but I wouldn't mind having my Mamiya 645 AF and lenses back. Have you shot any Mamiya cameras, Jake? I owned a, uh, a 645 Pro TL for a little bit over a year. And uh, I did really love that camera. And I, I do kind of wish I had mine as well. But uh, uh, at the end of the day, I, uh, I ended up selling that camera to buy a Hasselblad, which... Uh, subsequently turned into a Leica M6, so I guess I'm satisfied with where it led me, but, uh, but yeah, maybe one day I'll get another. Right. That's one system I have not shot, is a Mamiya. I don't, I don't have any, not even 35 or anything. No, I, I've never shot another Mamiya other than the 645, but uh, I would really love to uh, shoot an RB at some point. Like, I, I already have a couple 645 cameras, so I really don't want another one. And I can't justify uh, the 67 because I've got, I'm just getting so I gotta, I gotta think of getting rid of some stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to uh, to get rid of the uh, the extra weight every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's move on to Jess Lance. He says my Roly binocular viewing hood that I used with my Rollercord back in the seventies, and I wish I'd kept that Rollercord instead of selling it. But I pretty much bought everything back I have lost, and gear that I coveted when I was a poor photography geek. Hmm. Yeah, no, uh, Jess brings up a good point there. Uh, even some of the more expensive film cameras uh, today are a fraction of what they were when they first came out. Yeah, I guess if you look back on, I don't know if you like looking at the old photography magazines, but if you look back at some of the ones from like, the 70s and the 80s and look at the prices and then factor in like how much the inflation those were very expensive cameras oh yeah definitely like you know easily in the in the thousands of dollars for most of them yeah, yeah. but I, I guess it's not any different than um say uh I'm not sh sure, like the new Nikon Z series or any of them. They're they're really expensive too. So 
Yeah, I, the the Nikon D6 is right around $5,000, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's not really any different than the brand new t question or brand new uh, film cameras back then. But yeah, now we're picking them up for well, I don't know. I picked some up for 10-15 bucks that probably were $600 back then. Yeah, no exactly. You know. So now, and, and guess, cameras like uh, the uh, the Nikon F5 which, you know, can be bought for three four hundred dollars these days you know was a, a three four thousand dollar camera when it came out and they're still going strong oh yeah exactly yeah <laughs> absolute tanks of a camera yep yeah if if you ever needed a, a weapon to hit a mugger with that's your choice <laughs> yeah and it'll give you back pain in the process yeah, you can take a picture of them when they're laying on the ground knocked out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do like my F5. Um, I'm still getting to know the F6 a little better. Come to think of it, that's something that I want to do a little more in 2021 is to really get to know that camera better. I just haven't had time. Which sucks. There's no time for anything. Now it's a tough job making the time to go out to shoot. Yeah. Or even, you know, grab a, a frame here and there. It, it is. So I guess that covers all the topics that were on the Facebook group. So let's ask you, the listener, the question for next episode. What is a piece of gear that you own that you wished you shot more, but you will never sell it? Did I word that right? Yeah. Yeah. That works. What piece of gear do you own that you would, that, that you own, you wished that you had more time to shoot but you will never sell. Mm. So I'll post this up on the Facebook group. Um, and maybe if you want to send in a voice memo uh, with the answer to that question, you can. It's easy to do. Um, you can just record it on, on your smartphone and email it to us at embracethegrainpodcast at gmail.com you can also find us over on Instagram at embrace underscore the underscore grain um, Jake where can they find you uh, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Jake Rose photo or uh, over on Facebook in the uh, in the various film photography groups. Alrighty. Oh yeah, maybe we should mention if you haven't joined up to Embrace the Grain Photography Podcast Facebook group, 
that's where you can interact with us. And yeah. I guess, yeah. guess that should cover it for this week. So everybody stay positive and Sorry, what am I supposed to see there? <laughs> uh, that was mean of me, wasn't it? Everybody stay positive and embrace the grain. See you next week. See you later. How do I turn this darn thing off?